Okay, this morning, I am exceedingly excited about this message, and I know I say that pretty much every week, but I am so convinced that today God wants to do something epic. I believe God wants to do something powerful beyond anything we've ever seen before, and I'm not setting it up for, you know, for anybody to be disappointed or, or to feel like maybe God hasn't met them in the way that, that they're expecting or they're anticipating. But, but when we get into this particular message today, I want you to open your heart to the possibility that God wants to do a miracle in your life. We sang that song about it. It is the focus. I really believe this morning that he wants to do something profound we have been crying out. We have been coming in this room and praying through this room and fasting and, and crying out for the presence of the Lord. And that is what we are going to continue to ask for, to contend for his presence through prayer. We're actually going to start a series in September on contending for his presence, <clears throat> excuse me, through prayer. But today we're going to just continue um, in Mark chapter 6. And and doing a little bit of a review through the book of Mark. So Jesus has encountered some pretty scary things. I mean, he's come across demoniacs. He's come across um, lepers. He's come across dead people, and he's raised them. But what he is about to do in chapter 6 is exceedingly scary. And what this is, is he is going back to his hometown, to his home church, to preach in his own hometown. How many of you have ever gone to a class reunion? Yeah, we just had mine. I, I missed it. It was my tenure. And um, I'm so, <clears throat> anyway, how many of you have ever gone back to a class reunion and it was just awkward? See, the thing that, that about class reunions is that People haven't seen you for 10, 20, 25, 30 years. So they still see you as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, or even worse, 15. And that's, you know, that's a kind of a devastating thing when you're thinking, I've become this other person. Well, this is what the, the scenario is here. Jesus is actually, he's gone out and done all these miracles. He's gotten this huge following. And then all of a sudden, he comes back to his hometown, and he's, he's actually speaking in his home synagogue. Um, and so I wanted to, I, I entitled this particular section, Moving On With Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about moving on with him, not only in our growth, in our faith, in our belief, but also moving on when the Holy Spirit tells us to move on. Because Jesus actually says in this section that you should try to share the gospel with people, and if they're not open, just move on. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this today. Uh, I want to start out with amazing Jesus. Now, this has a double meaning. Jesus is amazing, yes? But this section talks about how Jesus was amazed. And let's start with uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Jesus is amazing, yes? It says, they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? 
So here he is, Jesus is coming back to his hometown. These people are like, well, I thought I knew Jesus, but man, who is, I mean, this is amazing. They're hearing him talk about these things. And actually, they, this particular section doesn't talk about what he, what he actually speaks on. Um, but in Mark, or in, uh, excuse me, in Luke chapter 4, it tells this same story. You, had, you know that throughout the four stories of the gospel, they will tell the same stories from their different vantage points. And so this is a vantage point from Luke. And this is in uh, Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 18. This is what Jesus spoke about. It says, first of all, he picked up a scroll So he had this scroll and he picked it up and he started to read from Isaiah. It says, the scroll of Isaiah of the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. It says, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them, and he said, the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, so this is what Jesus is saying. So you know when you go back to your hometown or you go back to your high school or whatever, and let's say, for example, you've become, you've made something of your life or whatever, you know, that can be really threatening for people in your hometown. Yes? You tracking with me? And so Jesus is coming back, and he's not only saying, um, hey, uh, I've raised the dead, I've healed people, I've cast demons out. I've calmed the storm. He's, he's not saying this, but what he's saying is I have been sent to bring hope. I have been sent to bring a message of hope, to, to open the eyes of the blind, to raise the dead, to set the captives free. I mean, he's, he's talking about some pretty intense things. And so instead of the people going, yeah, that's awesome, it says here, oh, I lost my place. It says here in uh, verse three, they scoffed. Now, instead of them getting on board and going, this is awesome, this is amazing, Jesus is going to do all these things, they scoffed, it says. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. We know this guy. This guy, come on, he thinks he's so great. He thinks he's all that. This is what their attitude was. Come on, this guy is a carpenter, for heaven's sakes. And it says, and this, get this, not only did they doubt, it says they were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. They refused. What this says to me is they had a choice. They could choose to believe or they could choose to go with their own personal opinion, which is what they did. They went with their own opinions. It says, and then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Can we, can we read this together? A prophet is honored everywhere 
except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Why? <laughs> this is one of the questions I am going to ask Jesus when I see him face to face. Not that I doubt his goodness and his greatness, but I have never been able to figure out why is it that the people that are seemingly the most likely for us to reach are the ones that will not receive us. The people from our hometown, our own family, our relatives, doesn't it seem like they should be the most likely ones that we should be able to reach? The solution to this, I believe, is that, you know, Jesus says he is the Lord of the harvest. And he says we need to earnestly pray. Actually, the, the original term means the highest form of begging for God to send workers into the field. To pray for your family, to pray for your relatives, to pray for the people that seem to be the ones that you would most likely be able to reach, and to pray that God would send workers into their lives. That God would confront them everywhere they go, they would be confronted with the love of God. Since we are not typically going to be the ones who are going to reach them, this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying a prophet is, receives honor except at home, except with their own family, except with their relatives. This, this doesn't make sense to me, but it does inspire me that if I can't be the one to reach people, I am going to cry out that God would send others to those who need to hear the message of truth. Okay, so moving on, it says here, and because of their unbelief, get this, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. I think this is kind of humorous, except to heal, to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I mean, that in itself is amazing. But here he is, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, but because of what? Because of what? Because of what? Unbelief. It says he couldn't do miracles among them, except to place his hands on a few sick people and to heal them. And it says here, check this out. He, Jesus, was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed. This doesn't mean he was shocked or, or surprised by it. He just, he just was saddened. He marveled. He was marveling. How can this be? How can they not believe after everything that I've demonstrated to them? How can they not believe that I have fulfilled all of the prophecies from throughout the centuries? I have fulfilled every single prophecy and I am God and they still don't believe. How is this possible? Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. And in John 6, 29, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Okay, here, you ready? Jesus says, this is the only work that I'm expecting from you. It's not saying, I expect you to go into the temple, I'm expecting you to um, serve, I'm expecting you to do this and that and this and that and this and that and the whole list of all the works that we could possibly do. This is what Jesus says. This is the only work God wants from you. What is it? To believe in the one he has sent. 
That is the work of God. Believe that he is who he says he is. Believe that he is good. He is kind. He is loving. He is generous. He is patient. He is forgiving. He is accepting. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in mercy. This is what we're supposed to believe. We are supposed to believe that it is by grace we are saved through faith, not of our own works, so that no one can brag about it. No one can go, you know what? I know all the rest of you need grace, but I've pretty much got that covered. This is not the works of God. The works of God is to believe in the one that he has sent, to believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for every one of your sins, every single one, even the one you're thinking now, well, I'm not sure about that. Yes, that one, that one. He paid the price for that. That's why he went to the cross. And we struggle sometimes. We just think, oh no, my sin is way too great for, not great in a good way. My sin is too huge God could not have forgiven me for that or for that. I want to tell you this, um, this story. This is in the book of Judges. And this stuck out to me so powerfully. It starts in, verse, or in chapter 10, verse 7. It says, okay, so here's what's going on. So, so there's, the Israelites are yet again choosing to worship idols, choosing to, to worship false gods, choosing to worship the things that are contrary to God Almighty. And it says here, and the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to their enemies who began to oppress them that year. It says, and the Israelites were in great distress. And see, this is the state this is our condition. When we don't believe in God, when we don't believe that he is who he says he is, that we don't believe that he's a God of miracles, we don't believe that he's good, we don't believe that he's for us, we don't believe that he's with us, all the lies that we believe, we will turn to false gods. We will turn to ourselves, or we'll turn to other people, or we'll turn to our bank account, or we'll turn to work, or we'll turn to what porn, whatever it is that gives us that relief for a little minute because we just don't want to deal with the pain. It, and it says, and then when we do that, when we turn to those other things, it says we will be in great distress. And it says in verse 10, finally they cried out to the Lord for help saying, we have sinned against you because we've abandoned you as our God. We have served false gods. And the Lord replied, did I not rescue you from all of your enemies? And he actually lists them all there. It says, when, when they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help, and I rescued you. This is our great God. They cried out for help, and he rescued them. This is a consistent pattern. You know the story of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament is a story of us? That's us. We are the Israelites. Like Ira was saying, we'd like to believe that we would have done better, but we're just like them. We are Israel. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are Israel. We all stumble in many ways, the Bible says. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's the state of, of our lives. And I just want to say this. This is just a little aside. This one's for free. You know, when you're, when you're trying to be a light or trying to... to to witness to people, don't think that you have to be perfect to be able to bring the message of the gospel, the message of hope. What you can do is model grace to them. When you blow it, 
to go to them and say, you know what, I was wrong. I, I was wrong, please forgive me. Model what grace looks like. Even if they, if they don't forgive you, we still can show them this is how a life of grace looks. Okay, does that make sense? It says here, the Israelites in, were in great distress. And it says, and the Lord replied, when, I, when they oppressed you, you cried out and I rescued you, yet you've abandoned me again and served other gods. So what God's saying to them, you know what? This has happened consistently over and over and over and over. And doesn't that give you hope that God is a God of forgiveness and compassion? For me, it's like I look at it and I go, oh, I'm so grateful for God's grace. Not that I want to sin, not that I want to go out and, and transgress what God is called, but but there's so much hope in his love and the way that he receives us back. But in this case, here it says, you've abandoned me, served other gods, so I will not rescue you. Go cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. The Lord is saying here, you know what? You've made your choice. You have, you have bowed your knee to these false gods. Go ahead, see if they'll rescue you from your distress. God did this because he is a faithful father. And it says in Hebrews, he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. He's disciplining Israel here. He's letting them get to the point where they are so desperate, they have nowhere else to go except to him because he has the words of eternal life. Go cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. It says, but the Israelites pleaded with the Lord. They pleaded with the Lord and they said, we've sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and they served the Lord. And here's what it says. And he was grieved by their misery. Ah, oh, when I read this, I thought, it's not because they did things right it's not because they honored him the whole way and did all these works and served him and obeyed. It was because of his great love and compassion. That is what moves God. Not our perfection. Not our ability to do everything right. And Oh, I haven't had a quiet time in three days. Oh, I don't even know if God's going to hear my prayer. Yes, he's going to hear your prayer. When you come into his presence, he is rejoicing over you with singing. This is our great God. He's grieved by our misery. And what the devil wants us to believe is that if we continue, if we continue to sin, God will not receive us. That is a lie. A lie from the pit of hell. God will always receive us when we come back, when we humble ourselves and ask him for forgiveness. He will always forgive us. Because that is his nature, and he is grieved by our misery. So it's not, so I want you to remember this the next time you do that thing that you don't want to do, Romans 7, the thing that I want to do, I can't do, the thing I don't want to do, I continue to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The next time you're in that situation, remember, he sees you, he knows that you're miserable, and he grieves over that. He's not standing there going, oh, I'm so annoyed. That is not his nature. 
His nature is he grieves when we sin. He grieves, not because we, because he's mad at us because we failed. He grieves because he knows that it brings us nothing but misery. And this is the gospel, is that he knows everything about us and he continues to pour out his compassion and his love for us. And that is why today, I really believe each one of us has something And at the end of of this service, we're going to do a time of prayer and crying out to the Lord. We're going to sing that song again, that song about miracles. And, And I believe the Lord has spoken to me that he wants to do miracles today in this place. Let me just say this too. Miracles are not a Pentecostal thing, okay? Pentecostal just means that you believe that the gifts that were in operation in the first century church are still in operation today, that we still believe Jesus can heal. We still believe we can, we can cast demons out in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I, I don't have permission to share this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, Kevin, Kevin Kligman and I have been having this. Um, Kevin is our pastor in the Philippines. And there's a lot of weird religious spirits there, a lot of demonic stuff going on um, just in the Philippines. And um, he texted me and was telling me there was a man who came to church and he was, he was saying, talking in a different language, but then he was and talking in a different voice and saying, I'm the prince of hell and I'm going to kill the apostle. This guy, and he's like one of the people in their church. And, and like his eyes were rolling back in his head. This guy was legitimately demonized. And he said, Kevin kept saying, you know, quoting the scriptures and the guy's like, you don't have any words of your own. So they ended up having, he tried to kill Kevin, literally tried to kill him. He's going to tell this story. He's actually going to be here in two weeks and I'm going to have him share this story. But he, the guy tried to kill him. They had to get 10 people to tie him up. And then he left and, and then he fell asleep and then the, when the guy came to, he couldn't remember any of it. And Kevin was so discouraged because he's like, why couldn't we cast that out? He said, I was quoting scripture. I was using the name of Jesus. Anyway, so the guy ended up coming to church the next Sunday. And apparently all night long, he had been telling his wife that he was going to kill his pastor, that he was coming after the apostle, and that he was going to kill him. Well, they ended up coming to church, and, and after the service was over, Kevin looked at the guy, and he sat him down, and he started talking to him about what had happened, and he said, are you ready to surrender to Jesus? Are you ready to turn your whole life over to him? And he said the guy's eyes rolled back in his head, and he started in with that voice again, and he started saying all these things that he was going to kill him and all of this. And eventually, what ended up happening, they had to tie him up again, and Kevin was able to say, are you willing to cast that thing out? And the guy did. In the name of Jesus, he surrendered to Jesus, and he spoke to the thing, and the, the demon had to leave him. And the guy is like, delivered. Yes! Woo! Now, I think our demons here in America are much more subtle. I think they're much more covert. They're not like that in your face, but there are demons. And Jesus has given us the power to cast them out. This is what Jesus has given us the power to heal, 
in his name, cast demons out in his name, speak in tongues in his name, prophesy in his name. It's all in his name. It's in the name of Jesus. Okay, just because we're Pentecostal doesn't mean we have to check our brains at the door. There's a new saying now that I just love. It's called Reformed Pentecostals. And what it means is that we can be fully convinced that God still functions in the way that the word of God says he does. Amen? That there are still miracles that can happen today. But we don't have to separate theology. We don't have to separate the study of the word of God. That we can be balanced. And that the Pentecostal movement has gotten really out of balance because we've kind of resisted this whole intellectual thing. We should not do that. The intellectual thing supports the charismatic thing or whatever you want to call it. You can, you can be convinced by the word of God that Jesus still longs to operate in that way today. And I don't want Jesus to be amazed at our lack of belief. And I don't care what the other churches are saying or teaching or whatever. I just know that we are called to believe. To believe that he wants to do that miracle. He wants to deliver you from whatever it is, if it's gluttony or uh, low self-esteem or pornography or addiction to alcohol or drugs or something, or he wants to bring you a miracle, he wants to bring back your prodigal, he wants to heal your marriage, he wants to do all these things, but he doesn't want us to doubt. We believe in him. He is a God of miracles. We sing this song, but do we really believe it? I, for one, do not want Jesus to be amazed at my lack of belief. I am, I am crying out and saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I believe that when we believe and when we pray and when we trust, he will demonstrate his power to us because he is distressed by our misery. He's not standing far off going, oh, just get over it. That is not how he, how he acts with us. And so we want to move on with Jesus. We want to move to a new place, a new season of believing. Amen? Anybody with me? Raise your hand if you're with me. Yes. So Jesus and his 12, moving on. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6. It says, um, then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them, get this, he's giving his disciples authority to do what? Cast out evil spirits, cast out demons. It says he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, because they were going to be doing a lot of walking. It says no food, no traveler's bag, and no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to even take a change of clothes. Jesus is saying, depend on me fully. This is symbolic, and I can't get into it now, but he says, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave that town. But if any, of, any refuses to welcome you or to listen to you, shake the dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their own fate. What happens uh, historically here is when the Israelites would go into Gentile country, before they would step foot back into Israel, they would brush off their feet. They would brush all the dust off of their feet. 
because they didn't want to bring any Gentile dirt. And this is symbolic of that saying, these people have made their choice and they have chosen not to believe, so I am going to move on. Now, I want to make a caveat here. This actually means that you are to tell people the gospel, to tell them the good news, to tell them about how great our God is. It is not enough to just be nice. That is not the gospel. I always say there's going to be a lot of nice people in hell. Being nice is not a prerequisite to going to heaven. The gospel is the only way we can go to heaven. Believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. And that is what the work of God is, to believe that. To believe that we cannot save ourselves, we are dependent on him. It says here in verse 12, the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and to turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with oil. Again, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus wants to bring good news. It says, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim that what? Is it up there? Say it out loud. Captives will be captives will be people who are in bondage will be people who are bound by their lust bound by their greed bound by their their depression their anxiety all of this they will be this is what the word of god says and he says the blind will see this can be both spiritual and physical and that the oppressed will be set free those spirits that oppress us, those lies, the discouragement, the depression, the anxiety, all of those things that want to keep us from believing that our God is a righteous and holy and good and kind God. All of those things. He wants us to be set free. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. It is something that has to be supernatural. It has to come by the spirit of the living God. Because trust me, when I was a pothead, and that was many years ago, and for a long time, I was addicted to weed. Not physically, but psychologically. It became my place of escape. It became my refuge. And I am telling you, I was bound by it. I was bound. And God came in one day and set me free, and I never smoked it again. Didn't eat brownies either, so. (laughs) But he's saying that the oppressed will be set free, and I love this. I love this, and I speak this to us right now, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time, yes, let's applaud the Lord. Yes, Lord. Remember again, No matter what condition you're in right now, no matter how far you've gone off the path, no matter how many times you've done that same sin, or how many times you've lost hope, or you've lost heart, or or you've doubted, it says, he is grieved by your misery. He's grieved by your misery. And he's saying to you, ask of me. Ask of me. 
You have not because you don't even ask. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. He's saying, ask me. Ask me to open your eyes. Ask me to set you free. Ask me to deliver you from oppression and depression. Ask me to bring back your prodigal. Ask me to heal your marriage. Ask me to set you free. He is telling us to come into his presence and believe. That is the work of God, to believe. I don't want Jesus to pass over this church and be amazed at our lack of belief. I don't want people to to leave here thinking that it's something that you can do. It's just believe that God says what he will do, he will do. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. We're going to go into a time of, of worship now and a time of prayer. But I want us to believe. That's all he's asking is believe. Believe again. Some of you, you used to believe and you were disappointed. So you stopped believing. Jesus is saying believe again. Believe again. Trust again. Some of you have never believed. You never thought either you were worthy for God to do a miracle in your behalf or you just have never come to know Jesus. And I want to tell you right now, Jesus is real. Jesus is God. And he died on the cross for each and every sin we have ever committed, past, present, future. And he stands ready to forgive. And he is distressed by our misery. He's distressed by the concerns. He's grieved by our misery. He's grieved by those things that concern us. And I'm just saying, believe again. Believe that he is good and believe that he wants to do something profound in your life today. We talked about it earlier. Think about that area where you need a miracle. Something supernatural, something that you can't just, oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to... It has to be the spirit of the living God. Can we believe again? One person can. Yes, that's enough for me. (laughs) Can we believe again? Can we believe again? Can we believe that he will set us free from oppression and depression and lust and anger and gluttony and critical spirits and abandonment and rejection and division and all the things? Can we believe that God is here for us and he stands ready to save? He is mighty to save. Amen? Amen.